I regain consciousness. I start to panic. It hurts to breathe. Deep darkness surrounds me. Darkness like I've never seen. Darkness I can feel penetrating my bones. Wait, am I dead? I should be dead. I remember sinking into the black water. Seaweed wrapping around my body. And this pain, pain in my lungs. Ah, they burn. I remember. I gave myself over to death. Is this the afterlife? Is this eternity? That can't be. I try to move my arms, but my body is trapped. Whatever this is, it's cold, it's damp. I try to slow my breathing as I take a breath, but the putrid scent of rotting flesh surrounds. I panic, I can't see. I panic, I can't move. The air around me is heavy. It smells of death, suffocating. I listen, there's a sound. What is that? I feel movement as my world spins. I realize where I am. The panic deepens as I struggle to catch my breath. No, no, no! This can't be. I gave into a watery grave. Not this, not anything but this. I think about the choices that made me lead to this fate. There was only one option. It was unfair. He didn't understand what he was asking. I had no choice. My terror gives way to anger for a moment before settling back over my body. Every hair on me raises to attention when I realize my fate. Will I die from lack of water? Will I slowly suffocate as I try to breathe this ever-thinking air? Will I rot and become one with this smell around me? shake, knowing the final moments of my life will be filled with terror, agony, pain, confusion, suffocation, here in the belly of this fish. Hey guys, we're so glad you're tuning into the Apex Students Podcast. We hope you enjoy this message from Apex Students, and we pray that you don't walk away without looking a little bit more like Jesus. Hey guys, what is up? Welcome to Sunday School Stories to Tell in the Dark. Uh, It is a series that I am doing because it is officially spooky season. I don't know if anybody else is excited. I am officially excited. Uh, I'm trying not to eat candy right now, but it's everywhere and it's kind of the best. So it's spooky season. Spooky season. No, no, no. There's no candy here right now. It's just every, I guess that is true. There is some back there. Okay. (laughs) Oh my goodness. Okay. The whole, what we're doing with this series is we're going to look at stories from the Bible that are secretly just terrifying. What? What you just heard there was a little story about our boy Jonah, you know, the guy that got eaten by a fish, and he was just in a fish for three days. 
of fish. It's a fish. I'll, I'll read that it's a fish later. It is actually terrifying, but we tell the story to kids, right? We tell uh, the story of like this guy. He, have you ever seen the VeggieTales movie? He's in this whale. There's a whole theatrical production, and then it ends with him being the good guy. There's a lot of things wrong with that. There's no, he's not the good guy. There's no theatrical production. It was a fish, guys. He was in a fish. That is so easily. So easily. <laughs> okay. So the whole goal of this is to break down these Bible stories and to talk about them. I don't know about you guys. Questions, hold your questions. I don't know about you guys, but sometimes the Bible can be a little bit boring and it can be a little confusing. There's a bunch of cultural references that are old and I'm like, I don't, I don't know anything about these sheep that they're always talking about. I don't know what's going on with all these words. Um, but when you get past some of these confusing words and the phrases and the super old cultural references, there are some incredible stories in the Bible. There are stories of war, stories of love, there's stories of horror, there's beautiful poetry, and of course, giant lists of names. Everything you could ever want is in the Bible. Um, and the best part about it is that in every single word, God is speaking to you and he's trying to teach you something through all of these stories and through all these words. So tonight, we're going to break down the story of Jonah, and I'm going to help us, hopefully help you guys, see what God has been saying through Jonah, specifically to me. Um, so that is my goal each week. So next week, it'll be a different story. The week after that, a different story. But they'll all be spooky. So get excited. Okay. Let's just jump into, let's just jump into Jonah, okay? Please hold. Jonah is a terrifying story of a man swallowed whole by a huge fish and living through it. That's it. Now, to fully understand this story, we're going to have to go back and put ourselves in the situation where Jonah was. We need to understand his surroundings at the time, right? So Jonah, he lived in Israel. And at the time when he lived in Israel, there was a neighboring nation slash empire that was doing a lot. They were killing a lot of people. They were taking a lot of land. Um, and these were the Assyrians, okay? That's important. We need to know who they are. They had a big beef with Israel, um, because, you know, Israel was a nation and they wanted to control everyone. So there was a lot of fighting, a lot of killing. Um, think like, hmm, there was a lot of major 2020 vibes between the two of them. So kind of, there was a lot of hatred, a lot of bitterness. So the Assyrians had this huge empire and their kind of capital slash like important city the history on this is confusing. Some people say it was the capital. Some people say capitals didn't exist then. So we're going to say it was both a capital and an important city was Nineveh. Yeah, that, the Nineveh that you know. So that was like a big important city to these people that Jonah and Jonah's people hated deeply. So the first time we actually hear about Jonah is in a different book. Not in his book. He's got a book to himself. Four chapters, super short, easy read. Everyone should do it. But the first time we hear about him is actually in 2 Kings. And this is what it says. There's a lot of confusing names in this one, so get ready. Okay, it says, Jeroboam II recovered the territories of Israel between Labohamath and the Dead Sea, just as the Lord, the God of Israel, had promised through Jonah, son of that guy. Uh, the prophet from, you know, that one. So, like I said, there's a lot of confusing names in this in there, but really what this verse is saying is that Jonah told the king of Israel at the time that he was going to take back a lot of the cities and the territories from these Assyrians. And it happened, 
But there's a whole other story that you can read about in Kings where that king was awful and terrible, Israel was awful and terrible, and then they end up losing all that land again because, you know, they didn't listen to God. So that's where we land with Jonah before we actually jump into the book of Jonah. So Jonah kind of looks like a dum-dum because he was like promising all this land and then it immediately got taken away. So now we're going to jump into Jonah chapter one, okay? This is where we find Jonah straight chilling after promising victory and then it happening and then it not happening. And then he's looking a little sus if you ask me. Um, but that's where this terrifying tale picks up. It starts in Jonah chapter one, weirdly enough, verse one. That's where it starts. The Lord gave this message to Jonah son of, you know, get up, go to the great city of Nineveh, announce my judgment against it because I have seen how wicked its people are. But Jonah got up and went to the, in the opposite direction to get away from the Lord. He went down to the port of Joppa where he found a ship leaving for Tarshish. I can never say that word. Uh, he bought a ticket and went on board, hoping to escape from the Lord by sailing to Tarshish. I can't say it. There's too many shushes in that one. So right off the bat, we see, okay, well, maybe Jonah isn't the hero of this story that we were led to believe he is, right? The first thing he does is go in the complete opposite direction. So Nineveh is a landlocked city to the east, and he gets in a boat and goes west. He's like, by the literal opposite direction of where he's supposed to be going. Um, and then this is when things kind of take a turn. He's in the boat, right? He's in the ocean area. And he is there. He's just sleeping in the bottom of the boat. Meanwhile, there's a storm that's sinking the ship. And the captain of this ship knows that there's something weird about this storm. This storm just came out of nowhere. It doesn't make any sense. And all of the men that were on the boat sailing the ship, they were all praying to their gods, like, what's going on? Like, this is a crazy storm. That doesn't make any sense. And finally, they're like, you know, we need to wake up this Jonah guy. So they go down. They're like, hey, get, get up. Like, what are you doing down there? Who? And they ask him who he is. And this is what Jonah says. He responds to them with this. It's in Jonah 1, 9. If you have your Bible, almost everything's going to be in Jonah. So if you want to open up to Jonah, you can read along. And it says, I am a Hebrew, and I worship the Lord, the God of heaven, who made the sea and the land. Now, when Jonah says this, the guys that are on the boat recognize, like, the power of his God, and they are afraid. And they're like, what, Jonah, what do we do? You know, you serve the God that made the land and the sea. What do we need to do? And Jonah's response isn't like, okay, we should probably turn around because I need to go talk to these people in Nineveh. He literally just goes, how about you just yeet me into the sea instead? That's how badly he did not want to go to Nineveh. He's like, okay, just, just throw me into the ocean, I guess. Like, I'll just, I've accepted this fate. So that's what they do eventually. They're like, not right now. They throw everything else overboard. They're like looking for ways to make sure the ship doesn't sink. But they're like, okay, this is going down no matter what. So we might as well just try this and throw this guy into the ocean. They do. The storm stops. But Jonah is sinking and he thinks, I did it. I got away from God. I don't have to do what he told me to do. But God sent a fish that ate him and then he lived. It's a good prank. It's a really good prank. God's like, pranked you, gotcha. You get to live even though you didn't want to live. <laughs> that's, that's exactly what happened there. So we're going to stop here for just a second. Let's look at what's been going on. On the boat is where we see the first instance of Jonah's hypocrisy, which is going to be a major theme throughout this whole thing. He knows the sailors that are on the ship are pagan sailors and that they most likely worshipped a bunch of different gods. And he also knows that they're not Hebrews. They're not God's chosen people. They're not Israelites. So Jonah is judging these guys. When he, when he says who he is, he like puts all this pride into it to tell them like who he is because he thinks he's better than them. He's judging them. 
he says, oh, who am I? I'm a Hebrew, best of all the people, obviously, and I worship the one true God, unlike you, you dum-dums. It's basically what he says with his words. <laughs> and he was talking down to them, but meanwhile, when he's saying all these things to them, he's like, I serve the one true. He's running away from the God that he claims to serve. He's running in the opposite direction when he's like, I serve the one true God. And he says that, but his actions are him running in a different direction. It is absolute nonsense. Hypocrisy is sad and bad. And Jesus, um, we'll talk about this a little bit in the New Testament. And this is what he says. He says this in Matthew 7, 3 through 5. He says, And why worry about the speck in your friend's eye when you have a log in your own eye? How can you think of saying to your friend, uh, let me help you get rid of that speck in your eye, but you can't see past the huge log in your own eye? Hypocrite, first get rid of the log in your own eye, and then you will see well enough to deal with the speck in your friend's. I'm just going to say it again, just so everyone remembers. Jonah is not the good guy of the story. Do not be like Jonah. That's what we're going to get from this. Most of the time, I'm going to say something Jonah did, and then I'm going to say, don't, don't be like Jonah. That is the bottom line, is don't be like Jonah. Many people describe the book of Jonah. It's like four chapters. It's really short. It's really interesting to read, the way it's set up. A lot of people describe it as satire, because a lot of oh, the situations are exaggerated, the characters are exaggerated, to just emphasize how truly stupid Jonah is in a lot of these situations, how poorly he acts. And that's, it's meant to show us that we also do those same things. So we can't judge Jonah too much because we all have a little Jonah in us. So, like I said, one thing we learned from him right off the bat is not to be a hypocrite. And that basically means that you claim to have moral standards or beliefs. You say one thing and then you do another thing. That is being a hypocrite. And God talks about how that is not a good thing. And he talks about, you know, like lukewarm water. There's a whole lot of verses about Jesus saying how bad it is to be a hypocrite. Jonah knows the reason that the storm is happening. He knows better than to be running away from God's call in his life. But while he's doing all these things, he's also still judging the people that were on the boat. These people that when they did hear the name of God, feared God, right? They did the right thing. They heard the creator of the heavens and the universe, they, they're like, oh, that's God, the one true God. And then they feared God. They had the correct response to this terrible storm that God caused around them. Meanwhile, Jonah, the one who was prideful, is still trying to run away from God by jumping into the ocean and dying. So often, we are quick to point out and judge the sin or the perceived sin in other people's lives without addressing the sin in our own life. Because it's so much easier to point out everybody else's problems than it is to deal with your own problems. I struggle with it. I know for a fact that everyone does. Because it's easy to fall into the trap of pointing out other people's problems instead of dealing with our own. So just a little reminder from Jonah that we need to be asking God about our own lives before pointing stuff out in other people's lives. It should be an everyday thing. It should be, you do your 10 and 10, you're asking God, hey, point out the things in me that aren't right. In fact, King David prays this, and it's a great prayer that if, if you ever don't know what to pray, go to Psalms. There's a lot of things to pray in the Psalms, and this one particularly is a really good one to pray all the time. It's Psalms 139, 23, and 24, and it says, Search me, O God, and know my heart. Test me and know my anxious thoughts. Point out anything in me that offends you and lead me along the path of everlasting life. King David prayed that way, and then you can also pray that way. And when you pray that way, God is going to send the Holy Spirit, and he is going to point things out to you, and then it's your job to act on the things that he points out to you. It's, it's, it's your job to start pulling the logs out of your eye that he points out to you. Because it's weirdly hard to see the giant logs in our eye. 
So again, don't be like Jonah. Now back to Jonah. We're going to jump back to Jonah right now. Well, I'll do a little summary. God told him something. He said, nah, storm, overboard. Now he's in a fish. There we go. Chapter two is basically a super long prayer. Okay, so we're, we're breaking this down chapter by chapter. We're going to chapter two now. And it is just one long prayer. It's Jonah in the fish. And he goes, ah, I, I, I might have messed something up here because I'm in a fish. So he starts to pray. And weirdly enough, he, there's this whole long prayer to God. And it's almost an apology, but never once does he say he's sorry. Never once does he repent. He just goes, I guess I'll do what you say. It's basically how this, it ends. And then God goes, okay, cool. Puked him back up onto the shore, and then Jonah starts making his way to Nineveh. Now that was chapter two. We're moving on to chapter three. This is when Jonah finally gets to Nineveh, right? He gets to the place where God has been telling him to go. And then he puts in the least amount of effort physically possible into his task. This is what he says to the people. So God told him, hey, go to the people of Nineveh. Tell them, you know, I'm going to destroy them, blah, 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 all this stuff. And he's like, fine, I'll do the absolute minimum because he's a little bit of a whiny baby. So Jonah says this in uh, chapter 3, verse 4. Uh, On the day Jonah entered the city, he shouted to the crowds, 40 days from now, Nineveh will be destroyed. End. The The end. <laughs> got five seconds and he was done. He's like, I did it. I did all that God called me to do technically. And then he mic dropped and left. That was it. And then this is the point of the story where we get introduced to the king of Nineveh, who up to this point, we've all assumed is going to be the bad guy, right? If anyone was going to be the bad guy, it'd be the leader of the Assyrians who are killing people who are super violent, who everyone is scared of, the opposition to God's chosen people, right? Guys, wrong. He ends up being one of the heroes of the story. Everything gets turned upside down, and he hears Jonah's message, and then just like the sailors did before when he heard God's message, he turned and he feared the Lord. He turned and he said, we need to, we need to do something. We, we messed up. I messed up. And he was repentant, unlike Jonah, right? Don't be like Jonah. When God points out the log in your life, it is your job to be repentant and to do something about it. And this is what the king does. He says in uh, Jonah chapter three, he goes, this is what he declares to the people all around him, to, his, to all the people in his kingdom. No one, not even the animals from your herds and flocks may eat or drink anything at all. People and animals alike must wear garments of mourning and everyone must pray earnestly to God. They must turn from their evil ways and stop all their violence. Who can tell? Perhaps yet God will change his mind and hold back his fierce anger from destroying us. He's so upset and so sorry about this, he tells the cows to mourn. He's like, okay, cows, put on your mourning outfits and you're going to pray and fast because we have work to do because God pointed out something that we've been doing wrong for years and years and years and years. Guys, he made the cow, like, that's my, I think my favorite part is when he's like, and your herds too. Make sure your cows aren't eating. It's a whole, it's crazy. There's a lot going on there. He was so repentant. Meanwhile, Jonah was in a fish and couldn't say sorry. Like I said, don't be Jonah. Because how often does God point out sin in our lives and we just shrug it off like Jonah did? How often has Pastor Chris stood up here and has been preaching and been saying things, and you heard that little voice of the Holy Spirit inside your head saying, hey, he's talking to you. This is something you need to change. This is something that you need to do. This is something that you need to get rid of in your life. That's a friend that you maybe need to leave behind. That's a habit that maybe you need to leave behind. 
That's the website you need to stop going to. That's the music you need to stop listening to. And instead of listening and repenting like the king of Nineveh, we run the other direction and don't listen to the voice just like Jonah. And it may not seem super important to you right now because you're like, I have time. Things are going to be, I can just, you know, shove that voice down for a little bit. But here's a true fact. Every single time we do something, another like neuro pathway in our brain is formed. And if you just start purposely pushing the voice of God down over and over and over again, eventually it's just going to be a habit. And eventually you're going to do it without even noticing it. And then you've completely push down the voice of God in your life. The voice that's supposed to be the loudest, you push down to where it can't even be heard at all. It is a big deal to not listen to God. So we need to be making sure that we are listening to God, and then when he says something, we, we do it. He talks about that all the time. He says, hear my word, and then do it. Okay. <sighs> I've been Jonah so many times, and I ignore the voice but I'm working on it. And that is something that we are all called to do is to work on it. We're not going to get it right 100% of the time, but if we know, it's like this time, okay, I'm going to do it, I'm going to do it. And keep that in your mind. Sometimes you're not going to because life is tough, we mess up, the world's broken. But if you just keep trying, it'll get easier. So it's going to work in the opposite direction as well. So as it gets easier to not hear God's voice, as you listen to God's voice and do the right things over and over again, it's another habit that gets formed and now you're in the habit of immediately Hearing and doing. You're hearing and saying yes and amen. So really, really, really don't be like Jonah. Just don't be like Jonah. Easy, right? Okay, we're going to move on to chapter four. We're in the last chapter already, guys. There's only four chapters. It's a really fun book. It's like the shortest. It's not the shortest. I don't know. It's a really short one. It's a good one. So God sees the people of Nineveh. And he's like, oh, they repented. So I'm not going to destroy the city. Guess what, guys? This makes Jonah really mad. He gets so upset because he hates these people so much. And so he starts screaming at God he, because he, God didn't destroy an entire city of people. And it says this in Jonah chapter 4. It says, this is what Jonah says to God. He's screaming this at God because of how mad he is. He says... I didn't, I didn't say before I left home, or sorry, didn't I say before I left home that you would do this, Lord? That is why I ran away. I knew that you are a merciful and compassionate God, slow to get angry and filled with unfailing love. You are eager to turn back from destroying people. So just kill me now, Lord. I'd rather be dead than alive if what I predicted will not happen. Jonah really isn't the hero of this story. I always thought that he didn't go to Nineveh because he was scared. Like that's, you know, that's what the Veggie Tales taught me. That's what Sunday school taught me over and over again is that Jonah was just scared because people of Nineveh were like evil and they were going to kill him and he's like, "Oh, I don't want to die." So he got on a boat and ran away. Really what happened is that he had such hatred in his heart that he would rather run away then go love people because he knew that this was going to happen because he says all that. He says, "God, I knew you were compassionate. I knew you would forgive these people and I didn't want that to happen." That's how deeply the hate was inside of him, that he ran away. It wasn't because he was scared. It was because he hated. So after yelling at God, <laughs> he, yeah, he is, he is a huge baby. So after he's done yelling at God, God just responds calmly with a question. God's not phased by this. He's like, okay, Jonah, I'll just, I'm going to ask you this question. And he says, is it right for you to be angry about this? That's the question that we're all asking right now, right? Like, is it? Like, Jonah, are you okay? Like, 
okay, no one died, that's a good thing. <laughs> like, that's a good thing. But Jonah ignores the question, and he goes outside. He stands outside the city, and he sits down, because he's, like, waiting to see what God is going to do, right? Because he's thinking, he's like, okay, I screamed at God, and that's probably going to work a little bit, so God's going to rain down fire, and I'm going to watch all these people die. So he's sitting outside the city, waiting for it to happen. So while he's sitting here, God's like, okay, I'm going to teach this guy a lesson. So he makes a plant grow up. Like he, He's in the desert, so a plant grows up, and it shades him, and he's hiding from the sun. Jonah loves this plant because now he's out of the sun. I get it. The sun is awful. So he's now in the shade of this plant. He loves this plant. He's like, wow, life is good. I'm sitting here waiting for thousands of people to die. It's incredible. What a wonderful day. Um, but then God sends a worm to come eat the stem of the plant, and then the plant withers up and dies. And then God sends a hot wind to come and like basically cook Jonah in the desert. So Jonah's there like, it's so hot and it's awful. Like, I get it. It's like basically being outside any time in Florida during August. Like, it's terrible. You don't want to be there. It's a terrible time. So I kind of understand where Jonah's coming from, but he may be a little bit more dramatic than I am. He says this. This is literally what he says. Ready? He says, death is certainly better than living like this. <laughs> That's what he says. He's a little bit, yeah, he's dramatic. Oh, my goodness. Yeah. So then God asks him, is it right for you to be angry because the plant died? And Joseph, or yeah, Joseph. And Jonah responds, yes, even angry enough to die. And that is the last time we hear from Jonah in this whole story. His last words are, yes, even angry enough to die. The story of Jonah, the book of Jonah, ends with these two verses. In Jonah chapter 4, they're verses 10 and 11. And God is speaking this to Jonah, and this is how it ends. It says, you feel sorry about the plant, though you did nothing to put it there. It came quickly and died quickly, but Nineveh has more than 120,000 people living in spiritual darkness, not to mention all the animals. Shouldn't I feel sorry for such a great city? That's how it ends. It ends with these questions, and it's super interesting because it feels like we should hear Jonah's response, right? This whole story has been about Jonah. This whole story has been like, what's going to happen to Jonah? But it ends this way because it doesn't matter what Jonah does next. This Jonah's not the hero of the story. God's the hero of the story. And so he has one last thing to say, and this is what he says. And he's asking these questions. In the story, he's asking it to Jonah, but in reality, he's asking it to us. He shifts the story from asking the selfish, arrogant, hypocritical, dramatic Jonah, if because we know he's not going to change his mind. We know the answer. He's not the hero. The whole point of the book of Jonah is to illustrate how big God's mercy really is, how big his compassion really is, and his ability to forgive really is. The people of Nineveh deserved destruction. They deserved to die. But God never gives us what we deserve. He gives us compassion. He gives us mercy. God is asking us if we really believe that. Do we believe that God's forgiveness and his mercy is for everyone, even the people we don't like? We are the same as every other human being on this planet in one way. And it says it in Romans 3.23. For everyone has sinned and we all fall short of God's glorious standard. We are all in need of God's forgiveness and we all deserve God's destruction. That's every single person on the planet. But we are all, the grace of God is available for all of us and we are all God's children. And that should bring us together. That should be it. 
that story of forgiveness, that story of mercy is the story that Jesus is commanding, has commanded us to tell to everyone. It's the story that at one time sin separated us from God, but then God in his great mercy decided he was gonna fix the separation so that we can have a relationship with him. A relationship that brings peace in chaos, a relationship that brings hope in brokenness, and it brings community in loneliness. It is that relationship that he wanted. So he knew he needed to fix the separation. So he sent his son Jesus to die on a cross so that the separation can close. Three days later, Jesus rose from the dead. And now all we have to do is decide to put our faith and our trust in God, the God who wants to have this relationship with us. And then that's it. He gives us that relationship. And then he sends the Holy Spirit down to us to help us see the planks in our eye so that we can live in this relationship the best way that we can. If you've never fully put your trust in Jesus, it's kind of the best. And I really think that you should do it. It, it's not going to be easy, but it's going to be better. I think that's important to know. It's not an easier life, but it is a better life. Things that you never thought you'd be doing, you'd be doing. Because Jesus has a better path. Okay. For everyone else in the room, if you have Jesus in your heart, then these next words are for you. It is time to check yourself. It is time to truly look and ask God, hey, what is inside of me? What hatred is inside of me and who? Who do I need to love better? We can pray that prayer that David prayed again because there's a little bit of Jonah in every single one of us. And Jesus says in John 13, 35, he says, by this, um, by, by this everyone will know that you are my disciples if you love one another. We are representing Jesus every single day. And so it is our job to love like Jesus would have loved. It is our job to have compassion for people that other people don't have compassion for. It is our job to love the people we hate. That is our job. That is what Jesus has called us to do. And it's not easy because I know for a fact that everyone has someone that drives you nuts. That person that you're like, oh, I don't think maybe, maybe like, I guess he can be a Christian, but it's like, you don't really want, you don't really want it in your heart. Maybe it's the kid at school that bullies you. Is it the poor kid? Maybe it's a rich kid who you think is the worst. Is it the Democrat? Is it the Republican? Is it the person at work who can't seem to do their job correctly? Is it the neighbor that yells at you when you're too loud? Is it someone from a different religion, from a different country? Maybe it's an anti-masker. Maybe it's a masker. Maybe it's someone who listens to country music. Yeah, even them, even them. They deserve God's mercy and they deserve love. Maybe it was a family member that hurt you, or maybe it was even another Christian that be, turned out to be someone that you didn't realize they were. Whoever it is, they are a child of God and deserve our love. This whole thing has hit me really hard. When I was reading Jonah, this just kept coming up over and over in everything that I was reading. And I think it's super important for the time we're in right now, because things are only going to get worse over the next couple of months. The divide is gonna keep growing, but it is our job, Jesus sent us here, to proclaim his word and his truth, which is that we are all children of God and we are all deserving of love and we are all deserving of his mercy, his grace, and his compassion. And it says in Acts chapter, um, chapter one, verse eight, these are the last words Jesus tells us. He says, you will be my witnesses, telling people about me everywhere, in Jerusalem, throughout Judea, in Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. If Jesus were speaking this right now, he wouldn't say Jerusalem, Judea, and Samaria, but he would say 
that you are going to tell people about me everywhere in your house, in your neighborhood, in your school, in your state, in your country, on all of your social media, every single time you send a text, every single time you live, everywhere you go, you are a standing representation of Jesus. And that's what we are called to be. So like I said, it's only going to get worse but it is our job as Christians to stand up and to be less like Jonah, less hatred in our heart, but to be more like Jesus and walk out in the calling that Jesus has for us. So we need more Jesus, less Jonah. Remember, don't be like Jonah. God, I thank you so much that you gave us your word that we can learn from it. And that no matter what time of our lives we're in, it is relevant to us now. I thank you that you can point things out to us, so help us to see those things, God. We ask you right now to search our hearts and the people that we don't like, the groups of people that maybe we have a hatred for in our hearts, to help us love them the way that you love them, to see every single person as a child of God. So Holy Spirit, come down, fill us, fill us with love so that we can pour it out to the people around us. Help us to stop the divide that's happening and to bring unity where that divide is. In Jesus' name, amen. Thanks for listening to this Apex Student Podcast. You can listen to more Apex teachings by subscribing on iTunes or wherever you get your podcasts. We pray that this message has impacted your life and that you don't walk away without looking a little bit more like Jesus.